you know, folks, if you want to see a, a, some of you folks that like older movies, the uh, the Maltese Falcon is a great movie. With Humphrey Bogart, uh, Sydney, Sydney Greenstreet, Mary Peter Astor, Lord, Mary Peter, Astor. Yep, yep. Uh, it's a it's a great mystery. And like I said, everybody says that is the first one, and there there is a lot of there is a lot of great film noir movies out there. Uh, but you know, uh, the third man with yeah. Joseph Cotton, yeah. you know, and it's the same and Orson way. Welles, Orson Welles. It is, it is the, the whole idea behind this is everything is mysterious and it's in the shadows and it's, you know, it's, they're mysteries, but they're noir both because they're, they're dark, dark movies. And, uh, you know, there's always a bit of suspense. There's almost always a femme fatale. Well, even, even the heroes were cynical heroes. Yes. You, and uh, you, if you knew it was a femme noir, if you had pessimism, right. uh, fatalism, or menace around every corner. Uh, and it came out of an era... 1944 to 1954. I wonder what was going on during those years. Well, one of the things that was going on that time was the Red uh, Communism Scare. And uh, the cynicism that came out of being you know, caught up in World War II. Right. Uh, that whole generation was, you know, was, was amazingly affected, and as appropriately uh, so. When you uh, think of the third man, I think of a wonderful tour of Vienna. You don't think about, you know, the Viennese um, uh, dark alleys were as dark as they could get because, again, you had, that was the front line of the Cold War. Um, and yet the, the bad guy, Orson Welles, uh, was a drug dealer. Uh, so pretty darn interesting. You know, he was a war profiteer, of uh, right. a, 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 a black, you know, Black marketeer, and as you just said, it's a it's a reflection of the time that was made, and after the brutal horrors of the latest World War, and then the romanticism of cinema, it was exchanged for a darker, seedier type story. Yep. And most most film noir they have their roots. I know most people most people know this, uh, but for those of you that don't, based on uh, novels referred to as pulp fiction. Pulp fiction, right out right out of the gate. Uh, the the uh, you know you would take something that was serialized and turn it into uh, a, a you know a very popular form at the time. Uh, the people had already been reading them. You know they they had had the script sort of laid out in front of them. When you see these pictures of of uh, uh, the boys going over to to Europe on the boats, they all had Pulp Fiction you know. Um, books that they were reading yeah and most people know too pulp fiction back then it was like the and they've been around forever too it's like the the romance novels but they're not it's not like they're a 900 page novel they're a little short like 90 page 100 page little short you could put in your back pocket put in your back pocket put in your front you put it you know keep it with you uh, uh fill up spare time and believe me i uh those guys had lots of spare time you know, the typ- typical of war, it was uh, tedium followed by, you know, a, 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 a horrific event that might or might not be happening. That tension that was probably pretty darn universally felt is now going to be, you know, transferred into a, a film, into a movie form. 
And one of the one of the things too that Noir came out of was well, if you remember, if you've watched very many old German movies, the German expressionist mm-hmm. cinematography, same way with them. They're it's dark, they're shadows. And a lot of times a lot of the scenes, you don't see the people, you just see their silhouette. Yes. Uh, from the a shadows, distance. The shadows. The shadows, the mystery of and you can think who who potentially is lurking in the shadows to harm these two people, or what are they talking about that they've got to be in such a secretive? I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't location. call I wouldn't call the film M a um, a film noir. But, no, it's close, uh, but, but it's not. But it's uh, as a precursor, right? It was creating a whole lot of the cinematography that you would expect that you would get familiar with. That's right. Um, and uh, stark lighting. Was always a sort of a, a one a, something you'd expect in a film. And folks, that's a, not to digress too off to the mm-hmm. side, but that'd be a great uh, classic movie for you to watch. M. It's I believe it was nineteen thirty with Peter Laurie, yeah. and it's a uh, it's actually a pretty a, a pretty a good film which relates today with what goes on in the world today, which has gone on a lot. But this is a it's a good movie, and I don't want to <laughs> really uh, spoil it for you, but watch M. The old version of M, and uh, I think you'll like it. it there's an awful lot. Uh, well, I, I always think of film as an artifact. It's an expression. It came out of the art that was required of that time, of that moment in history. Exactly. So they're, they're always historic artifacts. Exactly. But when there again, when we talk about noir, I, I do know, and I just, I just remembered that it was uh, first basically applied uh, by uh, of Hollywood films by a by a French movie critic named Nino Frank, mm-hmm. and he developed the term in 1946. Uh, but most most people uh, they didn't really recognize it as a as a quote film noir back then. It wasn't he he might have coined the term, but it didn't really. It came right out of whole cloth. It, it, right. It didn't. It, they didn't have to have. Oh, this is our purpose for doing this film. Let's do one. It, it came right out of the society that that created it. Um, well, the, and, the, and the excuse me, and the cinema mm-hmm. historians, they basically define the category as film noir as a retrospective mm-hmm. from the future. You know, like you get in the seventies, and they go, "Oh, well, that I think that qualifies as a film noir, a black dark movie." You had um, you had Stanley Kubrick, uh, who we all know, you know, for his science fiction, but starting his career in film noir uh, with *The Killing*. Uh, it's it's a uh, you know one of the earliest evidences of that genre, and there you are, a brand spanking new Stanley Kubrick, stretching his legs. He was a photographer for *Look* magazine. And so he knew photography and he knew the art form, but he had to break into the business. And it's interesting to um, to think of him as a youngster doing something that had nothing to do with science fiction. And yet, you know, we now know him. You, you can't think of him without 2001. Right. Coming to mind. And, and you know, folks, one thing uh, that I want to mention to you real quick before we were about 10 minutes into the show, but I want to remind you, you're more than welcome to give us a call here. If you've got some comments on on old films or if you want to talk film noir with us and ask a few questions, if if we don't have the answer, we can usually get the answer. But I do want to let you know that there's a new phone number 
to the station. And that's 907-513-6169. We'd love to have you call in if, you got, if you've got anything to say or want to talk movies with us a little bit. So our old numbers have uh, been disconnected. So 907-513-6169. Give us a call if you want to. We'd love to, we'd love to have your input. Well, Mike, what else you got to say? Uh, well, I'm, I'm getting sleepy. I'm getting sleepy. Oh, oh, no, no, let's not do the big sleep. Oh, okay, right. Right, the big, the big sleep. I, uh, the big sleep. Phenomenal film uh, with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall thrown together. And they, they were in a number of films uh, together as a, as a team. But in this case, uh, you know, here we are. L.A., rich kids, drugs. What else could you use as a, as, as a gambling? Um, you know, sort of, uh, this is, a, this is a L.A. In, uh, in the 30s. Oh, yeah. no, L.A. in the 20s. Uh, I mean, yeah. L.A. in the teens. When, right. when wasn't it? Right, well, the big, the big Sleep's based on a 1939 novel of the same name. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know what's really weird is, I think... I think it was, was it to have and have not? But, you know, uh, Bogart was like 47. Right. And Lauren Bacall was like 19. 19 in to have and have not. And they, she, were in the, they were down in the Caribbean, and she was stuck. Remember, she couldn't get home because she was out of money, and they fell in with each they other. They fell in love, yeah. Lauren yeah. Bacall at age 19 or 20 fell in love with Humphrey Bogart at age 47. He divorced his wife. To in fact, marry Lauren Bacall at that age, and they stayed married until Bo- forever yeah. until Bogey died exactly. uh, at like age fifty-seven. Exactly. Yep. And uh, well, yeah. What can you say about Lauren Bacall? I'm sorry. It's just a very, div- very difficult not to be uh, smitten by her walk out of that bar. Accompanied by that piano. Now you guys have got to go look at Big Sleep just to figure out what I'm talking about. That's right. That's right. It's a it's a it's a great one. It's a great one. And you know, Bogey, Bogey played two of the quintessential private eyes in his career: Sam Spade, yep. and Philip Marlowe. Yep. Now a lot of people have played Philip Marlowe over the years in movies. And you know, I'd have to look, but I'm not sure anybody else played Sam Spade. I'd have to look that one up. That is a good idea. I'm, I'm, I'm not real sure about that one. We'd have to would have to check on that one. But many well, people have played Philip Marlowe. Well, yeah, and and you can't, you know, you can't think of those characters without bringing uh, Robert Mitchum into the Oh, absolutely. Robert, I mean, that was, he had a whole career. Uh, I can't <laughs> Well, you brought up one uh, one role that he had that was sort of completely out of step, and that was from uh, Laredo. But um, El Dorado, El Dorado, yeah, Laredo, yeah. El Dorado. Um, but but yeah, if he didn't have a trench coat on, you didn't know what the he- who 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 he was. Right, and you know? he had he had so many great movies, and uh, uh, one of his his best ones, as far as the noir is concerned, is uh, uh, the Night of the Hunter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was. Uh, same way, another another great great movie with the shadows, you know, and it's and there again, you you folks have heard me say it before. The Maltese Falcon, uh, a touch of evil, 
mm-hmm. with Janet Leigh and Charlton Heston and Orson Welles, uh, another great film noir movie. Those are filmed in black and white with the dark shadows. They would be, to me, totally different movies if they were colorized. Yeah. And there again, like I said, it, it should be against the law to colorize these because it change, changes the personality of the film. It was an interesting era also when you... <clears throat> These are people who went through a war where people were being, you know, basically blown up beside them. So they had no question about what blood looked like. And yet in these films, people were getting shot and, you know, and oh my, you know, they'd get shot in the arm. And that was just fine because that was just a flesh wound. And or the guy who gets shot three times in the belly and there's no blood. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing going on yeah. here. Yeah, it was such that, a such an innocence. I was going to. I was just thinking about the fact that, uh, yeah, you didn't. It was in black and white. You didn't need red because there was no blood. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's always been funny when you see a guy get blasted by three or four shots to the chest. <laughs> there's no entrance. <laughs> they, they, not, they, nothing. They, right. they just they, grab their chest they, they, and they fall died. over. They just died you know, very quickly. It's <laughs> just it's just like some of those older movies that yeah. the guys are chasing each other. It's a chase scene with cars and they're on a dirt road, but they go around a corner and the tires squeal. Yes, exactly. Like they're yeah, on as if. <laughs> you know? Well, that was a sound man. Yeah, that was a sound dude putting that, that in for, oh, for a fact. All right. I think I... As I was thinking of Lauren Bacall, for some reason, Veronica Lake came to mind. And uh, I was laughing about the fact that you can find Veronica Lake in, in uh, film noir. You can also find her in what it was laughingly film noir, but in Who Shot Robert? Uh, who Shot? What was it? Roger who? Rabbit. Roger Rabbit. That's right. Now, that was a cartoon about film noir that's right that's right it was really a film noir movie well it was about film noir. right it was about film noir yeah (laughs) it was about film noir yeah Yeah. veronica lake and i got to tell you this funny story uh here a couple of years ago uh our friends down the street their little kids at Mm -hmm. a yard sale Mm -hmm. they bought as little kids they bought a a a dummy head Mm -hmm. that's got hair on and it's for like it's like for for hairdressers to practice right, on at right, home right, and, right. and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I bought one. I bought a blonde <laughs> so I could get one with them. So I got a video of Marty opening it up and she's opening the box up and she goes, it, it's a head. You know? <laughs> so there's this head. So I put it on Facebook and my, my aunt, I have an aunt back in Illinois who I, I said, I'm, I'm trying to decide what to name, name her. And my aunt goes, well, she looks just like Veronica Lake. Oh, so now our head's, our head's name is Veronica. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, now we know more than we should. <laughs> the, the, um, the, or uh, getting, getting off of Veronica Lake, which uh, she didn't have that many roles. It, it was interesting how dramatic, Lee uh, impressive she was as a character in, a, in in her roles, but for them to come out and again make this animated film about and with her as a character, but uh, and she died way too young. Yo, she was yeah. only fifty one when yeah. she died. But you, when you are thinking of Lauren Bacall, Edward G. Robinson, and Humphrey Bogart, Bogart all in the same film, Key Largo's got to come up. Oh, and, absolutely. And I, I don't know if that, it's interesting, you've got these you know, film noir car- um, actors all playing in something that I think is probably just a gangster film, uh, not so much film noir, but it, it does, it does um, 
uh, have all of the anti-heroes, all of the the cynical heroes, all of the, you know, the the flash, you know, that stuff that these guys made their living doing uh, in Key Largo. Well, and I think I think that's where. That's where it's tough to do the definition mm-hmm. of film noir. Yeah, you look at Key Largo. You look at Little Caesar. Yeah, with with uh, Ever G. Robinson. Well, it was a development. They they were evolving out of this out of this you know particularly dark world and creating actual heroes because you know Bogart was a bright, not cynical uh, hero in that film. And it was also, um, you know, taking a, a, a somebody who was Philip Marlowe and turning him into just a good old GI. Yeah. Remember, his position was, you know, I'm just I'm a fisherman who, who was trying to forget the war. And uh, and there's a there's a lot of great movies after the war where the protagonist is he's just a veteran trying to make a living. Mm-hmm. And so many of them, they became Privatized, just detective. a Joe, just a Joe, just a regular Joe. Yeah, how do all these guys know how to handle a forty-five? You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. they were trained. You know, Uncle Sam made sure they knew. That's yeah. exactly right. That's and exactly right. So it was right. not that surprising uh, to have that sort of talent sitting around, uh, turn and looking for a job after. But you know, in, one in of the, the in the fifties. One of the one of the neat ways to tell if you're if you're watching a film noir movie is you can usually tell it almost right from the opening scene, because there's so many of them that start out with the private eye in his office. Yeah, he's sitting in there. He's at Bro- the, broke. He's broke. He's at the end of the day. He's having a cigar and a shot of whiskey uh-huh. and a beautiful woman. And it's 10 o'clock at night and a beautiful He's all the lights are out and a beautiful woman walks in. Yep. That's all you need. That's all you need. And right there, there's shadows. There's dark. She's the femme fatale. And and a lot of times, folks, there will be a narrative over the movie mm-hmm. of that private eye talking about from the beginning of what happened, you know, like they'll be saying something like, I knew the minute she walked in the door. She, a, a voiceover. So a, voiceover. A, a narration, like you said. A, a narration, narration voiceover. Yep. yep. And I knew that I'd do whatever she asked mm-hmm. me to do. Yeah. You know, they, a lot of them start out like that. A lot of them start out with an immediate murder or something. You know, it's it's just, uh, you can tell. And uh, and then you get hooked right, right from there. The Big Sleep has some amazing... Uh, the um, risque aspects to it, uh, the the sexual tension between four characters that I can think of, all uh, bouncing off of Bogart. Uh, but I don't know how much more suggestive you could ever be than uh, the scene where he is actually in the bookstore, and you guys got to go. You know, yeah, you'll have to watch that. watch the film. You know, and and you know the. Uh, Oh, I think back then they had what was called the Hayes Code. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have the GPG. They didn't have no. But but it was called the Hayes Code. And they were censored. They were censored, right? And you know, like for instance, they had they had rules. If you if you watched early nineteen fifties TV, mm-hmm. there was a rule where you know Lucy and Ricky and Ward oh, and June. For some reason, they all had uh, twin beds. They all had twin beds. Yeah, 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 the Hayes Code would not let them nope. be in. A, a, a double bed, yep. but if they and, and there was a rule where if the woman was in bed and the husband's there, sitting on the side of the bed, his well, at least one foot had to be on the floor. 
Yes. You yes. know. So and they you, had lots of wedding wing, uh, wedding rings uh, in close-ups. Right. Um, right. So you, yeah, they were they were they had a standard which they were applying. They might not be living it, but they were applying it in their films. And you know, back in uh, uh, oh the early days before the Hayes Code even hit, uh, for instance, a wonderful actress named Hedy Lamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Hedy man. And she was that's a show in itself. Oh man, she was absolutely a gorgeous woman, but, but she, smart too. Very smart, very smart. But in in 1933, at the age of 18, she actually did the movie called Ecstasy, and this was actually before the censors. Before, mm-hmm. and I mean, there was nudity in it before the code. Before yep. the code, there was nudity in it. There was sex, although they never showed. All they ever showed was the people's faces. But it was, uh, it was, it was very risque for the time. Steamy, but very steamy. there you are with Hedy Lamarr who actually helped win World War II with her inventions. She was a right. phenomenally talented physicist who actually was uh, involved in creating radar. Right. So, well, what so, she did, you too. Know, the, the dichotomy is just breathtaking. Well, one of the things she helped invent was uh, frequency hopping. Yeah. You know, whenever they're doing torpedoes, you know, the enemy could jam a torpedo signal. Well, she helped invent frequency hopping. Yeah. So nobody could sabotage our torpedoes or anything that was controlled by radio waves. You know, so yeah, she was an incredibly, incredibly smart lady besides being beautiful and being an actress. You know, it was uh, it was absolutely, she was absolutely wonderful. A lot of, a lot smart of th- lady. A lot of things have improved since then, and, but she had to deal with it. Right, and she, and she made it, she, uh, uh, she made it to like 86 years old, mm-hmm. uh, passed away in 2000, you know, but yeah, uh, watch something by uh, Hedy Lamarr. You know, one of the funny things, uh, uh, oh, my brother Mike Danger here a little earlier, mm-hmm. we were, we were talking about, not uh, they're going to go on a little sidebar, we were talking about the movie Blazing Saddles. Well, the Harvey Corman character in Blazing Saddles is called, his name is Hedley Lamar. Yes. You know, and and everybody keeps calling him Hedy, and he goes, it's Hedley, and uh, Mel Brooks, who's on there, says, oh, don't worry about it. You can sue her <laughs> you know, about the, lot, in the well, future. <laughs> that has a lot to do with our our being film buffs and That's having right. references that you should, you know. Yeah, you can sue her. Cases, in some cases, <laughs> our, 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 our references are going to be obtuse. Um, thinking of Bogart, I... I I just watched a film recently that uh, he was in because you can do that. You can just go and say search for and come up with all sorts of stuff. One was called Dead End. And I was surprised. 1937. And the social commentary. This film was was a, a screenplay by Lillian Hellman. And and uh, when you, if you don't know about Lillian Hellman, then you need to watch the film Reds. And so, you know, there's a, there, there we are. Talk about starting with film noir and ending up in, you know, basically, <laughs> I, I, you know, a social commentary of the highest order. But this was, this was a film that was set in New York when it, the gentrification was coming down to the river, the, the East River of all places, and the conflict that came from uh, basically having the real estate businesses uh, push out the Bowery 
and the Bowery Boys. And so who would you see uh, opposite Bogart but the Bowery Boys, who all made them, you know, continued in their career as the, the comedic, you know, uh, ensemble that you might be able to see. I, I can't go off the, off the top some of the name of the films that they were in, but they always featured the Bowery Boys. Right. And, and you look at a lot of these, like we were saying before, the, the people back then that are portrayed in both of these. Now, now you will have you will have a lot of times the rich people in, in some of these movies with spats. Yeah. Wearing spats and they're, you know, they're the upper supposedly upper yep. crust. But most of the people in these are they're like the everyday Joe that oh, gets yeah. in trouble. And, you know, it's either the man or the woman who are trying to do something to better their life, and sometimes by doing that, they break the law. Well, the, yes, there, there were lots of opportunities to break the law back then, it seemed. Um, and the, a society that was, you know, centered around going out at night uh, to a nightclub. Uh, who, I mean, name a nightclub in the neighborhood right now. You know, we right. don't, we don't and, and are you going to put your, your uh, ball gown on and your coat and, you know, your, your tuxedo and go out, the, you know, this, you know, what is it, Saturday night, tonight? Yeah, and one of, Not the, likely. one of the best movies to see the nightclub scene is mm-hmm. Gilda. Sure. With Glenn Ford, you know, and, and that's, that's where you're exactly right, David. I mean. Well, I'm just saying that there were places to get in trouble. We have places of our own, but the, 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 the tension was always between the haves and the have-nots. And, right. and in film noir, you, you really had that, that friction that was obvious. Uh, the private eye was hired by the guy who needed to find out who uh, his wife was going out with and, right. and uh, why she had a new diamond necklace. You know, it, it was uh, always a tension between, uh, you even had the uh, secretary of the, of, the, um, uh, of the private eye, you know, wishing she had a, a mink coat. Right. You know, like it, that would be the achievement of her life. To have a, right, a, that's a that's the goal is yeah. to get that mink coat or and to get that diamond necklace the, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, something uh, material. But you know uh, what's neat about Bogart too is uh, the American Film Institute some years back. Well, it's been uh, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, they selected him as the greatest male star of classic American cinema. Mm. Uh, that uh, he he was. Uh, that's what he voted was voted by the American Film Institute. And you know folks when you're when you're uh, you know when you're looking all like we've said before man the internet you've you've got yeah, the, go find the, the encyclopedia Britannica yep. at your fingertips but but when you look something up a lot of these things like you can look up the 10 best film noirs the 20 best sci-fis and um, to me unless you're going to a, more of a professional organization because my opinion of the top 10 is different than right. your opinion it will of the top be. 10. It will be. And a lot of people put that on there. So I tend to go like with with the American Film Institute. Yep. American Film. Now, these are guys who actually have been studying and making an effort at understanding the, the genre and the whole business. So their opinion, it's called an informed opinion, which is uh, something that we all should be watching for. But, but hum- the, Humphrey Bogart was number one, and yeah. for women, it was Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Yeah, boy, easy. Yeah. easy. That was an easy call. Um, the um, internet 
the IMDb. Internet Movie Database. Yep. Uh, is something that you all should be familiar with. Uh, they will do um, a list of most popular based on the people who they are interviewing. You know, they're, they're actually, they're users. The yeah, people who are do. using the, the database. Um, and I can just go through uh, the top, uh, what do we have here? We have the top eight that they think are the most popular. And let's, uh, the, whoever's uh, maybe listening and can call in, if I'm going to name one of their, one of your favorite films, let us know. Mildred Pierce from 1945, n- number one. The Killing by Stanley Kubrick, 1956. Double Indemnity. One of your favorites. One of my favorites. One of my least favorite. Um, Maltese Falcon. The Third Man. Sunset Boulevard. Touch of Evil. And Notorious. Notorious. Not one that I would have picked because I think of it more as a love triangle rather than a film noir. But then again, what do I know? This is These are what is somebody is actually you know responding to their survey. And... And David, why don't you go ahead, and we'll both we'll both say why why Double Indemnity is one of my favorites, and why it's not one of your favorites. Let everybody know why you don't like Double Indemnity. All right, name a film where Fred McMurray was a hero. I don't know. No, I can't think of one. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, if you can stand Fred McMurray, you can probably get your way through. You know, the the uh, these things. The the Double Indemnity. He's just. Uh, not a very loving and, ca- and reasonable character. Willie's he's, always kind of playing a weenie. He is, and in Pushover from 1954, same problem. You know, he's he he and Kim Novak are the baddies, and you know, making Kim Novak into a baddie is just sacrilegious. I mean, he shouldn't be able to do that. So. Yeah, but but you look at you look at uh, Fred McMurray, and and and. Uh, David's right. He he does kind of play weenies, and then even in the movie Double Indemnity, he is mesmerizes and succumbs to the charms of the femme fatale, yep. which is his downfall. Barbara, Barbara, Barbara Stanwyck. Stanwyck. That's right. Uh, she is it, but but yeah, uh, uh, Fred McMurray. He started doing more. Now, he was a little bit better. You know, it's like I was telling David the other day, for some of you older folks, if you remember the original, like 1960, mid-60s movie, uh, The Absent-Minded Professor, where he invents Flubber, you know, he so he's doing a Disney movie. And then that's what he did a lot of. He did he did the Shaggy Dogs, The Absent-Minded Professor, Son of Flubber. Uh, then he was on the TV show My Three Sons. He got typecast. Yes, he did. <laughs> he got typecast in Double Indemnity, perhaps, because this is not a you know this is not a hero. So let's give you jobs where you don't have to be a hero. Right, yeah. right. And he was in a few westerns and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, I, you know, I, uh, I I do like him. I I look past that. But you know, even in the Cane Mutiny in '54. He was kind of a weenie on yeah. the Cane Mutiny yeah. with, with Humphrey they, Bogart. And, yeah, I don't know. You know, he made a living, so so be yeah, it. Yeah, he made a he made a living, and people liked him. So uh, I'd be laughing all the bay, way to the bank with him. You know, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some of these some of these are um, they're dark, and so right. if you're you know it's not it's not uh, something you would pick uh, necessarily for a, a family fun 
uh, evening. Right, and and you know, folks, uh, for any of you folks that haven't seen Double Indemnity, I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. Is Fred McMurray is an insurance agent. He goes to see Barbara Stanwyck at her home to sell her a policy. He's immediately mesmerized by her. She is uh, doing a come on to him, and they figure out a way to kill her husband. And the double indemnity, what that means is he sells her the insurance, and when someone is killed by accident, your payoff is doubled. That's what they call double indemnity. And back then, you know, it might have been a $10,000 policy, which was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Well, by the fact that he was killed or dies or whatever, that payoff goes to $20,000. That's what the term double indemnity means in insurance. So they're doing their best to, to beat the system and get away with it. Well, the, the owner or the chief investigator is Edward G. Robinson, and he keeps seeing something fishy about this. And he finally realizes, and they find out, and then Fred McMurray gets shot. And there's a lot of voiceover in this, too. Fred McMurray, as the protagonist, uh, he's talking about this as voiceovers. And then at the end, it shows him uh, confessing on a, on a recording machine, on the recording wire, and telling the story. That's, that's how it ends. He's, this whole story is basically him narrating the story. And then at the end, he's... One of the most famous aspects of femme noir is flashback. Yes. Uh, the, the, you, that's another thing where if you're seeing a lot of flashbacks, you may be seeing film noir, um, you know, along with the stark lighting, the cynical heroes, the menace, the fatalism, the pessimism. Uh, that that they, we're not selling this too well, are we? I mean, I'm just going to say, if that's what you're looking for in a movie, <laughs> the the uh, it, it, yeah, it's I, like I, like people are going, uh, our uh, listeners of you folks out there are going, what the geez, is there anything happier to watch? <laughs> nope, <laughs> nope. Uh, t- we're talking uh, things that are the the titled Touch of Evil, uh, The Killing, Scarlet Street, Notorious, Notorious. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, you know, folks, uh, film noir, as David said earlier, it's uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was basically, and uh, Jessica Rabbit was basically the Veronica Lake yeah, definitely. in that. And they're talking about it's about film noir with live action people, actors, and then cartoons. But it, it also, there's some more contemporary movies that are considered film noir, like Jack Nicholson's Chinatown, yes. which came out in 1974. Even though it doesn't have as much of the dark shadows, there's still a lot of things that happen at night, uh, but it's, it, I, I'd love to watch that in black and white and see if you, it makes you, a you difference. You still had a Philip Marlowe character. Right, you had there. a Philip Marlowe type character. Oh, yeah. And, and, um, you know the pop. Well, yeah, the the, uh, the the genre is still alive and kicking. Um, you can find you can find more modern. Yeah. Now, David, I want I got to ask you a question. Would you consider Casablanca film noir or just a mystery? <sighs> just I, I don't a love, think so. A love I think, story. Yeah, we're dealing with the same characters that you might yeah. find in film noir, but but uh, it, no, that was a love story in my in my head. Uh, not even a war film. You know, it's, it's there was no shooting up. There was no, you know, there was only a few gunplay situations. Yeah, there's still Nazis in there. There were Nazis, but they weren't. You know, we weren't right. in in foxholes, um, and so the drama of the period where you had the uh, refugees, where it was was certainly 
dramatic, but it was a love story. It was a love story between uh, a number of the characters, if you recall. And, you know, Key Largo with Hump, yep. Bogart, Bocall, and Robin, Edward G. Robinson, Robson. Uh, with Lionel Barrymore, actually, and Claire Trevor, uh, that's considered film noir. You it, know? It's, uh, it's right there at that transition point. It is. Um, where, where you no longer had as dark a character. These were guys that were getting normalized. You know, jo- uh, Robinson, the, the uh, mob boss, was on the outs. He was running away. Yeah, yeah. He was running away with some cash that his guys back in Chicago wanted. And uh, so there was a turnaround there that was interesting. And I suppose there you are with the theme out of film noir, um, but all cast in a hurricane happening in Florida. Right. Yeah. Right. And they're all, the, 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 they're all, they're all prisoners of, of, uh, the storm. The storm. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, the, the good people, the, the, quote, heroes, are prisoners of Edward G. Robinson. Yep. And his henchmen. Yep. You know, so, uh, so which, which one is it? But, you know, and, one of the, and I will go ahead and say, too, one of the other top, five, uh, top for me, film noir movies is Strangers on a Train. Mm-hmm. Uh, Farley Granger, Robert Walker, gr- absolute fantastic. And you talk about a lot of of dark night shooting yeah that thing is really really you got you folks need to watch strangers on a train you um you know with your wives yes <laughs> yes and and a little trivia on that movie is for any of you folks that saw the movie throw mama from the train mm-hmm. with danny devito uh you know and billy crystal it's a remake. It's uh, it's a remake almost of Strangers on a Train. Yeah. It's the premise of you kill my wife, I'll kill your wife, and they actually show they actually show in a, it's a film class that Billy Crystal's teaching, and he's showing talking about writing, and the word they use is crisscross mm-hmm. in Strangers on a Train, and what happens is in Strangers on a Train, uh, Robert Walker wants Farley Granger to do some killing and he won't do it. And now it becomes a blackmail situation. The de- the deal goes sour. The deal goes sour. And it's kind of the same thing in Throw Mama from the Train, except a, a little bit more of a comedy type thing. Very much. But Strangers on a Train is a wonderful, wonderful film noir movie. Yeah. And, uh, boy, I would recommend... Uh, I would recommend that as one of the tops with Maltese Falcon, uh, The Big Sleep, Strangers on a Train. I would I would really look at that one if you want to really see good film noir and understand it. That's uh, that's a wonderful one. You'll you'll be watching uh, some some uh, real classic performances by people who knew what they were doing. Yep. Exactly, exactly. And it's uh, oh, what's going on Saturday? I understood there was something going on Saturday. A week from today? Yeah. Well, you know there is, David. Uh, uh, folks, for some of you folks that don't know, but uh, myself and David, uh, the Danger Brothers, we uh, have got together with a couple of local film buffs, and coming up next Saturday, a week from today at two thirty, at the Soldatna Library. We have started what we're calling the Kenai Peninsula Film Group. And what we're going to be showing is some shorts, movie shorts, anywhere from five minutes up to about 20 minutes. And 
we're going to discuss these and these are some some videos movies by filmmakers who are uh who who develop these films and some of them are animated some of them are with with live actors but it's amazing in five a five minute film the emotion that can be in that film and will have you with a tear in your eye. These at are the award. End of these are award-winning. Some and, of these are uh, award-winning, yeah, and and also a format that allows, you know, younger filmmakers to right. actually take part. And it's a it's a very interesting thing to to imagine that you don't have to have a Hollywood you know foundation that that is somehow funding million multi-million dollar efforts. Right, uh, and some are, of these are very professionally yeah. done, and these yeah. are these are very. by these are by people that filmmaking is a hobby. And one of our one of our members, and and I'll tell you, folks, the way this started was here a while back, yep. like in November, when David and I were doing the show here, uh, we had a, a gentleman named James Hornstein call in, who uh, talked to us. If you remember, he talked to us about the Anchorage Film Festival. Well, we got together with him, and then we got together. He knew another local filmmaker named Eric Downs. And that's four. We met for coffee one day, and we started talking about this. And that's how this started. We, we, David and I had talked about this. This was probably more David's idea. He was initially going to try and go to Kenai Peninsula College. The library wound up working better. But we wound up getting together with these guys. And if you, if you want to uh, see what we're all about, we're just starting now. This is going to be our very first program. We got the next... Uh, Three Saturdays, the last Saturday three, of the three month, month. Three months. Three months locked yeah, in. Yeah. And what we want to do is we want to get folks in there watching some of these short videos with us and then having a discussion as far as when you watch this video, what did you see? What what did that what emotion did that evoke in you? How effective was it? Right. How well, how do you feel about that as compared to how I might feel about it or somebody else watching? So yeah, come on down to the library about two thirty a week from today. The sold out in the library. We'd love to have you there. And and uh, like I said, we're we're set up for January, February, and March. And we're going to see how popular it is and see if folks want to do in April. But we're looking at doing this through the winter because on a seventy degree day, the last weekend in June, not too many people are going to want to go be in the library. So we're looking at this being a winter time. In fact, we're calling this Winter Film Series Number One. I would show up if you had. I would show up in the in June if you had Veronica Lake. Oh, me too. Okay, I could bring I could bring it, my Veronica Lake head. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, the, the the this is a wonderful ref, uh, sort of uh, outcome from the KDLL, you know, sh radio show. Absolutely, that we're doing. this started uh, with a, with a call in on our show in November. And uh, we've we've made it happen pretty quick, and we've got and what David and I really like, you know, David and I are a little bit more advanced age. Well, these guys we got coming in are they're younger guys, less advanced. They're less advanced age, <laughs> and one of them, Eric, he's a local filmmaker, and we'll be watching about a twenty-five minute video that he made in South Central here on the on the peninsula. We'll see a preview of it. We'll see a preview because of it. it's going into film festivals, right? He uh, and he showed this up at the Anchorage Film Festival, and you know one of the things uh, that I found out here the other day when you look at film festivals around the world there's over 250 film festivals 
around the world. So when you look at that, you're you're looking at one about every day and a half. <laughs> right. Every uh, right. Uh, somewhere in and the in world. every language and in every language. That's mm-hmm. right. And some of these uh, shorts that we we will be showing, they're not all necessarily shorts developed in the U.S. Some of them. Uh, like I said, some of the animated ones, they are really emotional and there's not a word spoken in them, but there's music and they are absolutely phenomenal. And like I said, you, uh, well, a couple of my, I literally had a tear in my eye at the end of them because of the emotion in those, mm-hmm. but we would love to have everybody come down there and then we'll have a, a little discussion after we show those and, uh, David and I will be there. We'll have some coffee and some snacks. Yep. And, uh, that's that's essential. It's a it's a place where you can actually get out of your cabin, and come find like-minded people who might have an opinion about the film we just watched. Right. And one of the reasons we're doing that is we're trying to make even uh, you know Soldatna and Kenai is a wonderful place to live, but we're also trying to even more help build community involvement. And uh, like David said, get folks with a a like-minded idea of, hey, I've always liked this stuff. And and just a curiosity. Because if you are not curious, then you may not be, you know, may not have anything to share and and if you and if you don't like it uh yeah. that's okay it does not going to cost a thing no it doesn't cost a thing and the library has improved their video and audio capabilities mm, uh, remarkable. It's, a, it's a great place yeah and it's and it's free folks so yeah it doesn't cost anything. and and if you want to if you want to check uh if you go on facebook just type in kenai peninsula film group on facebook and you'll see the poster. Uh, David put some posters around right. town. Where Eric made them up. And if you, yep. and yep, Eric made them. And if you saw the Peninsula Clarion newspaper on Thursday, uh, Jack Jake Die. Talk about film noir. Boy, talk about a talk about a private eye name, Jake Die. You know, uh, he did a wonderful article in the Clarion on Thursday. For this, he interviewed myself and David uh, at a coffee shop one day on Wednesday, and he had it in the next day's paper. So uh, it's a wonderful article. I think he, Jake did a great job, and uh, we need to, you know, we need hey, to get hey, him. Hey, Jake, if you're listening, you know, we're not just blowing smoke. We want you to come on Saturday, That's right. Too. That's right. You know, and Jake, Jake would be the perfect guy to get him a long black trench coat and a That's fedora right. That's right. Uh, bent down over his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Jake die private eye. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, come on down, folks, a week from today and uh, and have some have some fun with us on the 28th at the library. And we'll uh, we'll talk movies. And and we'd also like your feedback on, hey, I, you know, I'd really like to see this and maybe a future program will will have something you like on there so so anyway come on come on down and uh and be with us and then uh, i want to remind everybody one more time our new phone number is 907-513-6169 or you can give us an email movieclassics at kdll.org we'd love to hear from you and uh, there again like i said david and i we have a lot of fun doing this and we'd sure like to get you involved too so come on down on that uh, on that Saturday, and let's uh, let's get to know each let's other. Let's get to know each other. You yep. bet. Yep. Well, other than uh, imagining a dinner with Barbara Stanwyck now, well, name another film. Uh, I'm just thinking about other. You know, Fritz Lang. Fritz Lang, uh, an interesting director, who is famous for doing Scarlet Street of really. Well established, you know, well established uh, 
example of film noir, shows up again uh, having done a film called Metropolis. And uh, so we're always going to be able to look at these films as examples from their era. Uh, when he was doing work in 1927, he was doing a futuristic sci-fi film called Metropolis. And then, you know, by, by uh, the mid-30s, we're doing Scarlet Street. So um, the film is a phenomenally um, interesting way of understanding an era. Uh, you know, we were just, we started out talking about film noir doing 1944 to 54, and then coming up into contemporary, you know, brand new versions of, of uh, film noir in Chinatown. Um, but we're, we're always going to be able to look at a film and say, how did they manage, or what were they trying to respond to at the time? Um, you know, uh, the, the drama of uh, the, the, fatalism and pessimism of a film noir all you know rolled up into a love story uh and the tension that comes from that and a 45 in his pocket you know exactly you you realize that um that they were selling 32 caliber pocket guns to everybody and uh, assuming that you had one in your pocket and you couldn't you couldn't go into one of those nightclubs without you know Everybody in there <laughs> yeah, and the, and the, was was about to hit you over the head if they, if if not shoot you. And the, and the coppers when they were stopping to even just talk to somebody on the street, right? You know, hey, Jake, how you? What you? Where you been? We've been looking for you. And they frisk him, and he's like, "All right, what's with the heater? You know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what's with the heater, dude? Yeah. You after somebody? A lot of, no, lot, they're after me. A lot of images. A lot of images uh, no. that are well established within the genre, and then presumed to be typical of the era and yet no not everybody everybody in that movie had a gun but everybody on the street didn't you know it, it was it was an image that was become that became very popular uh, and presumed we can sometimes look at hollywood and presume that that's actually what everybody was doing and you know david in looking at the american film institute uh what they consider the top 10 movies. Now, they don't actually have a film noir category. category. Yeah. They call it mystery. Okay. Okay, so, but but the uh, the top 10 that the American Film Institute calls mystery is a, one which is, which I guess it could almost be film noir, and that's 1995, The Usual Suspects with Kevin Spacey. Uh, that is... Uh, that actually is a pretty good movie. He won an Academy Award for that. Dial M for Murder. Dial M for Murder. Yeah, that, that certainly is in the genre. Yeah, Blue Velvet in 86, North by Northwest. I wouldn't have thought North by Northwest was. It's more like a... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting. There we are with spies and, and yeah. intrigue and, and uh, Cold War stuff. Right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, interesting. But then you still had the... Um, misunderstood hero the hero that you i mean you you could see some of those characters yeah carry granny for marie saint james mason you, in that imagine you're you're 1995 you're a youngster and you're doing a film and you're going to call it the usual suspects now where did that phrase come from i know where it came from do you know where it come from you know i don't okay the usual suspects casablanca the final scenes 
the Bogart shoots the bad guy. Yeah. Right? And the guy who, ha- who is going to become one of his friends is the chief of police. Right. And the guy, all the policemen run up and say, you know, because they got this d- dead stiff on the ground. And so who? And uh, the guy who could have said, oh, it's Bogart. Who, I just saw him shoot this guy, said, round up the usual suspects. And yes, so, that's and right. So the gendarme uh, went out into Casablanca and rounded up the usual suspects. And every, <laughs> you're right, David. Every almost every cop movie you see, they get the usual people for a lineup. Yes, of course. You know, I said, Go well, get well, those guys. Get get this guy. He's always in there. Go get those guys. But, but then the next one on the AFI list is the Maltese Falcon. Okay. That falls in the Third Man. Yeah. Uh, Laura. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Laura, in my mind, was no, more known for its uh, so, its soundtrack. Yeah, Gene Tierney, Dana Andrews, and Clifton Webb. Yeah, which uh, uh, Gene Tierney was a was a cutie, and uh, one of her uh, uh, great great movies, great movies, Gene Tierney. Uh, then, uh, and I, I don't know if I would have called, I mean, it's a mystery, but is it film noir? I don't know. Rear Window with Jimmy Stewart. You know, no. we both love that, but I don't think that's, that's film that's noir. Where, that's where we have to be specific. You know, we really have to say, all right, we understand these guys. We got off track a little bit with Key Largo. I think we're trying yeah. to explain Key Largo, but only because we've got, you know, Bacall and Robinson and Bogart all there. But the fact is that unless you've got, you know, cynical heroes, yeah, that that's a pretty darn you know difficult thing to to overcome if you if if you're not f- uh, featuring a cynical hero, um, whether you know the the characters have got to be tragic, um, in my mind, uh, and and so when you contrast that with Key Largo, you you've got bad guys and good guys, and you've got tension and and the hurricane is a character in that film, but but you don't you don't have the same connections to the pessimism and the fatalism that you'd expect to see in a film noir. Right. And then the next one that uh, the AFI says is Chinatown, which that's more yeah. of a contemporary yeah. film noir. We know that Jack Nicholson, Faye mm-hmm. Dunway, mm-hmm. John Huston. Mm-hmm. But the number one mystery that they said, which I wouldn't call it film noir. I think it depends on who you are. And that's Vertigo with Jimmy Stewart and Kim uh, that, Novak. That's why they got way wider, a way yeah, wider... Uh, they're, um, ta- they're talking mystery here. Yeah. They're not talking, yeah. a, a quote, film noir. Now, now our, our new friend, uh, Jake Dye, a reporter for The Clarion, uh, he told us he actually just finished a class on film noir. Oh. A, uh, and he didn't say if it was an online class, it was, if it was yeah. at uh, KPC or what. He just said he just finished a class on See, film noir. See, that's why you need to show up. Jake, yeah. on Saturday, we got a lot of questions for you. Yeah, we'd love we'd loved to have Jake. The, um, uh, and what do you know about it, you know? That's right. Because there's, um, there, we know something, uh, but not everything. That's right, and uh, Jake's one of those guys, and uh, maybe you can too, that can educate us on a few things, you know. We, I hope so. We, we watch these movies, we study them a little bit. But uh, as David said, I mean, for God's sake, we certainly don't know everything about it. And I'm I'm always willing to learn. And uh, you folks have probably recognized me in the my personality in the past and talking about movies is I loved uh, I love the the little sidebar 
of a particular actor of something that happened in that movie to that particular actor. And I, I'm going to digress a little bit here, but I was just reading about the Western El Dorado. Oh. And, and I'll tell you what I mean by that is I was reading a story about it where uh, John Wayne got James Caan so upset making that movie that James Caan was ready to punch out the Duke and Robert Mitchum had to step in between them. Just like he would, to, Robert Mitchum, to, of, course, right, of course. To, to keep them yeah. from, in fact, uh, getting in a big fight and... And that you know, and uh, the duke the duke was doing this on purpose, to, to get him fired up. Yeah, the, 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 they say that Robert Mitchum never needed to act; he was just the character that they they brought in That's for right. the show. That's right. Um, and you know, when I say what I what I said to folks is, for instance, in that movie, uh, Robert Mitchum's real life brother played the bartender in that mm, movie. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a scene where. Uh, he accidentally, instead of calling his brother by his the, movie role name, he called him by his actual name in it, and they left it in there. Nobody caught it, <laughs> and they left it in. Uh, you, know. do you, you don't call that. That's not an Easter egg. No, that's not that, an Easter egg. That's that, an anachronism? No, that's not even an anachronism. That's that? just an, a mistake. Just a mistake. Mistake by okay. the actor, yeah. That's a foobo. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, folks, oh, my gosh. Listen to that little bit of music, folks. Uh you know the. Uh, what, what are we going to be talking about next month? You know, next next month, next month folks, we're or, or not uh, here coming up in a couple months. Yeah, we're going to be talking about sci-fi, and sci-fi movies are wonderful movies. If you like them, we're going to talk about them. There's some great ones out there. A lot of them made during the height of the Cold War, and uh, you can see that in a lot of them. So. Uh, that little bit of sound there is what's always coming up with the, with the uh, uh, sci-fi movies in the spaceship. So, well, folks, we want to thank you for listening. We're coming up. We got about, we've got about 30 seconds or so left, maybe a little bit more. But we certainly appreciate you listening with us today. We, uh, like I said, uh, my brother Mike, uh, you got Nick and Mike Danger here. Yep. That now we're going to be uh, film noir in spaceships. This is listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We would love to have you at our show a week from today, uh, 2.30 at the library. Come on down and see us. Thanks again for listening today, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) Did it. We did it. No call-ins. I think that maybe either the number's confusing or nobody was listening today or it was too bright out. You know, you get a pretty day like this. I don't know.